Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Luke chapter 16 this morning, Luke chapter 16. Uh, we're continuing our series, Entrusted, understanding what it means to be a biblical steward um, of the life that God has given us. So it's uh, really stewarding what matters the most, but more importantly, it's the biblical understanding of a true steward. So Luke chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Uh, we'll stand here in just a minute. Um, but, you know, as I've, as I've studied this series out and as, as we've preached it and presented it thus far, uh, my goal is to make sure that we all have a proper understanding of what a true steward is. And, and as I've kind of set the stage in the past three weeks, uh, we've tried to develop the understanding that God is the owner. It's all his kingdom. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And since it's his kingdom, since God is the owner, that makes us the what? Steward. Five of you got it. All right, let's go back to week one. Here we go. I know it's time change Sunday, but wake up. All right. Very good. We're, we're awake. We're awake. So some of you guys were asking, you know, earlier this week, you know, I kind of beat on my chest last week, you know, like, are you okay? Uh, yeah. So if I do that today, it's more to keep me awake uh, than any kind of point that I'm trying to make. So anyway, um, again, he has entrusted us to be his steward, his manager. And we have to understand that. We have to understand what the biblical perspective of stewardship is because so many people have a faulty view of stewardship and really, it's because they have a faulty view of God. And if you're a child of God today, if you're a Christian, if you're saved, then stewardship or being a steward is what God created you to be. And we have to understand that. And some people hate it because they think it's all about money. It is about money. We're going to hit on money today, but it's so much more than money. It's about our life. And as we've, we've talked about, it's about our time, our talents, our treasures, everything that God has entrusted us to watch over. We watch over for him. Luke chapter 16, go ahead and stand if you would. Just want to read a couple of verses this morning. We're going to be in half of this passage today, but just a couple of verses to start with. And he said unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, so had a manager, had someone to watch over his resources. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. So this steward was unrighteous, unjust. Uh, was really unscrupulous, um, uh, kind of a crook, I mean, to, to put it in layman's terms. He had uh, foolishly spent or wasted some of the resources that were given to him by his master. Verse number two, and he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be a steward. So what he is saying is, I want you to give an account of all of your actions, of what you've done, good and bad, because I'm going to fire you. Because I don't like what you've done with the resources that I have entrusted you with. So we're going to unlock this passage this morning for the next few minutes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. And God, I pray that you'd help us today as we, again, study your word, another parable that you gave us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand the significance, that you'd help us to understand our role as a steward. Our role as a steward is to be a manager of the resources that you have entrusted us with. And as I even mentioned last week, sometimes I think we 
have a misunderstanding because we are very self-centered. It is very difficult for us to surrender control to someone else. And especially when it comes to our money, especially when it comes to our time and, and talents and different things like that. And there are a lot of good people in the world. There are a lot of good people in churches. But good doesn't cut it. And Lord, you have called us to be a steward. You have called us to be faithful. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn the very important lessons that we need to learn from your word this morning. Christ in my friend. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. As I do a lot of times, I reference sports because sports uh, are something that I've, I've done many, many years of my life. I've spent many years of my life playing sports, basketball. I uh, played soccer, uh, golf, just whatever I could get my hands on, whatever I could play, I played. And there's a lot of life applications with sports. Um, I was thinking about it this week. You know, there are a lot of strategies that we have in life, right? A lot of life hacks. We had a message on that about a month or so ago. There are a lot of strategies that we have in life to help us be successful, uh, if you're a business owner, if you work in the business industry, uh, there are strategies to help you advance, to help you grow your business, to help you become a better business owner. And, and really the same is true in sports. There are a lot of strategies to help you win the game, especially if it's a team game. You know, I, I was able to coach for a year. I've said that before. And there are strategies that I try to get my players to understand the concepts but the biggest strategy, I guess the most simplistic strategy in order to win the game was this, score more points than your opponent. I mean, it's, it's that easy. You score more points than your opponent, you're going to win the game. But how many have ever been at a basketball game or you've seen this happen or maybe you were that person that scored on the wrong basket? How, how many of that was you? Just raise your hand. All right, we got one, two, three, very good. Four, a couple honest people. Uh, that happened a couple weeks ago, Nate's last game of the year. Uh, two Saturdays ago, and a little girl on his team, I think she just got disoriented of where she was, and, and she got the rebound, and she put it up, and she was excited. She scored. And they're like, wrong basket, wrong basket. You know what happens, and sometimes when it happens, it's funny because uh, when you're scoring on the wrong basket, the, the team that typically defends you is like, hey, go ahead. Go ahead and score. We want you to score, and your team is trying to pull you out. The fans are like, no, don't do it. And I was thinking about that. You know, in life, the strategy is, you know, you think about, you know, in sports, you know, try to score as many points as you can, score for the right team. But in, in the Christian realm, in the Christian life, God has a strategy. God has a purpose for us as his stewards. And I think a lot of us are disoriented, I guess I could say. A lot of us are doing things that, in a sense, are scoring for the wrong team. We think what we're doing is right, is proper. But the enemy, Satan, is distracting us and saying, hey, that's your basket. That's where you need to go. And we go and we score and we think it's a great thing, but God's saying, no, 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 that's the wrong end. That's not where you're supposed to be going. And I say that, very important reason. You know, I've talked about this before. I don't want to just keep laboring on it, but you know, in our world, in our society, we are very busy people, right? Very busy individuals, and, and it's really one of the status symbols of our society to be busy. That's how you are successful in business. The more busy you are, the busier you are, the more successful you're going to be. But so often, as I've found in my life, we're busy doing the wrong things. We're busy scoring for the wrong team. We're busy putting shots up on the wrong baskets, and Satan is all for that because he's getting us off track of what God has called us to do, 
Again, God has called us to be stewards. And it's not just about our agenda. It's not just about our kingdom. It's not just about padding our stats. Everything we do should be lived for his honor, his glory. Again, God is the owner. That makes us the steward. That means God has entrusted us with resources to advance his kingdom for his purpose, for his glory, for his honor. And the reason people properly don't steward their lives because they have a faulty view of God. Some people think God is just lording over them and blessing some while cursing others. Well, that's not entirely true. You know, sometimes the curses that we attract in our lives are because of our own stupidity, right? Our own foolishness. We often do things to ourselves that sets up ourselves for failure. But we have to have a right view of God. I'm saying all this for a reason, for a purpose this morning, but A.W. Tozer, a great pastor of the past, he once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the fact is, many people, even Christians, have a faulty view of God. They don't truly look at God as the owner, as the creator of all, as the sustainer of all, as the one who is supreme, who is in control. And many people don't live their lives, to be honest, like Jesus is ever coming back. They live their lives for themselves. Ah, he's not going to come back, and if he does, it's not going to be in my lifetime, so I'm just going to do whatever I want, live however I want. It's okay, but it's not. And as I mentioned briefly last week, what we're doing, we're not working for our salvation, but once we're saved, we are working for rewards in his kingdom, rewards to lay at his feet. I like what Tony Evans says on this subject. He says, if what you do, listen to this, if what you do and what God says oppose each other, then it's obvious that we do not take God seriously. Let me say that again. If what you do and what God says oppose each other, then it's obvious that we don't take God seriously. And there are a lot of people that, man, I believe God, I trust God, but they don't live like that. God is clear in his word. He has given us the strategy, the rule book, the, the guide map for our life. And again, we take and choose what we want. We like certain things, certain principles, certain precepts. We follow that. Other things we don't like, so we're not going to do it. And a lot of people, honestly, and, and look, I can put myself in this category as well. A lot of people don't like stewardship because, again, oh, it's just about my money. But it's not. But if you can't surrender your money to God, then you're not really surrendering your life to God. And that's what it boils down to. People don't like stewardship because I have to give up control of what's mine, but it's never yours. It's always been his. So if what you do and what God says oppose each other, and really that's going to be something you have to look in the mirror to see if your life is actually matching up to God's word and his principles. If it is, then keep doing it. If not, then change and do what God has called you to do. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, many times he spoke in parables. Now, the parables were written specifically or taught specifically to his disciples. And I think there are up to, up to 40 recorded parables that Jesus had uh, when he was on earth. He could have easily had more, but 40 recorded parables, and over a third of them he dealt with money. Why? Because he knew the value of money. He, he knew the importance of money. And this parable that we're going to dive into this morning is really like many of his other parables that on surface are very confusing. How many of you have ever read God's word and like, I have no clue what I just said? Anybody? 
Like, that's about me every week. And then as I study and as I grow and the Lord shows me and reveals some things to me, it makes sense. But this is a very confusing parable on the surface because it doesn't seem to make sense according to our standards, according to what typically would happen in a situation like this. And it almost seems to be contradictory. But as we'll find, Jesus often takes a point and he kind of twists it. He gives us a different plot than what we intended to take. And what we're going to discover in Luke chapter 16 this morning is there is a man, there is a steward who was entrusted with resources of his owner. And instead of making sure his owner got everything that he needed, he made sure he was secure. He made sure his tomorrow was settled. And you're like, what's wrong with that? You've got to take care of yourself. Yeah, I understand that. But there's a more important principle that we're going to unlock. And what we're going to see is that this man, listen to this, this man did his best at leveraging his resources to secure his future. You say, again, pastor, what is wrong with that? I'll show you what God says and what Jesus says is wrong with that. But the key truth that we're going to try to unpack this morning is this, and it goes counterintuitive to our culture. What we're going to try to do is this. We're going to try to learn to leverage our resources now, the resources God has given us now, for someone else's future. That doesn't make sense. I know. Culturally, it doesn't make sense. But God's word makes perfect sense when we live it, when we apply it, and do what God calls us to do. Are you saying I shouldn't set aside and save for money? No, that's not what I'm saying. But so often we are like this unjust, unrighteous steward that is more concerned with ourself than we are with others. We are more concerned with padding our stats on earth than thinking of with heaven in mind. And knowing that since heaven is coming, we need to do our best to live for God now to do what he has called us to do, because one day we will stand like this unjust steward and give account of our actions, of what God has entrusted us with. And there's a couple of principles that we see, and really this parable is broken up into two sections. The first section is this. We have the story of a steward. The story of a steward. It's the first blank you have in your notes there. The story of a steward, verses 1 through 8. Again, this unscrupulous, this unwise, this foolish steward went and wasted, tragically wasted the resources that the master had entrusted him over. And then somehow the word got back to the owner, the master that he had been abusing and mis mishandling the books and, and doing things for his own purpose. So without really investigating on his own, just hearing from others that he had trusted, he basically calls this guy in to a meeting and is firing this guy. He wants to fire him because he hasn't been faithful with what he has been given. He's been a crook, to be honest. He's been worried about himself and taking things that weren't his. And that's what he says in verse number two. I want you to give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be a steward. And then as we continue on, now let me, let me say this quickly. Now, Jesus is writing or he's teaching this to his disciples, but there are others around that are listening. Um, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many, how many have family or friends that are very good at eavesdropping? <laughs> Anybody in this room that you know is very good at eavesdropping? Go ahead and point a quick finger. I'll look away. All right? We got it? Okay, good. Good. <laughs> I said when I was back there, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. Um, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you have someone having a conversation over there, and you know, you're talking to someone, and all of a sudden something <laughs> triggers in your ear, and you're like, hey, shut up. I'm trying to listen, right? Okay, I, I got it. I got it. I hear what they're saying. 
Um, you can ask my wife. I'm very good at this with her conversations, right? Right, honey? Yes, very good. I mean, she loves it, and she loves me for that, right? Don't dance to it. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. There are people that are, you know, kind of standing over there, and they're just, they're great at eavesdropping, and it's not their conversation, but that's, that's what's happening here in a sense. They, the, the message is for his disciples, but the Pharisees are also there. They're lingering, and what Jesus is saying, he's, he's telling it to his disciples, but he's also hitting on some things that are going to hit the Pharisees of that day. Because in verse number 14, look down there quickly. It says, and the Pharisees also who were, what's the next word? Covetous. Now, a lot of people don't like to admit that they're covetous. But there are a lot of people in this world, a lot of people probably in this room that are very covetous. And the Pharisees were very covetous. They liked money. They liked stuff. They wanted to get as much as they could get, as much as they could acquire. But look at this verse, verse 14, because this helps us understand a little bit more. When they heard all of these things, what Jesus had just said, they derided him, which means they mocked him. They made fun of him like, dude, you have no clue what you're talking about. You're off your rocker. You're you're completely out in left field. What you're saying doesn't make sense because it's not about putting aside for someone else. It's about putting aside for me because it's about my kingdom. And he's trying to help them understand that. And that's kind of what he does in this passage. But there are two characters in this story. Again, we have the owner, the master, and we have the steward. And the steward is the one that we we look at so often. Now, the manager is the one that oversees the business affairs of the owner. He he oversees all of the dealings with the owner. He also lives on the owner's property. Now, this is key. Saying all this because there's a reason for it. He works for the owner. He serves the owner. So everything he does is for who? The owner. You guys are good. 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 Everything he does is for the owner. Where he lives is the owner's property. What he does is for the owner. How he serves him is for the owner. It's not for himself. He is just the manager. But there are a lot of people that are in management positions of life and think they're the owner, think they're the CEO. (laughs) But the manager is not the CEO, right? They're not the one that's in charge of it all. They're just under someone else. This man, this steward, was under the owner. So he has to give an account. Look at verse number three. This is where the story really starts getting good. He had been ripping him off and being unwise with it. But here's the thing. This guy wasn't stupid. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Verse number three. Then the steward said within himself, after the the master said, all right, you got to give an account. I'm going to fire you. He's like, uh, what am I going to do? What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me thy stewardship. I, I cannot dig. <laughs> to beg, I am ashamed. He's saying, basically saying, I'm too old to dig. I'm not going to do manual labor. And I am too prideful or too proud to beg anyone. So what am I supposed to do? What, what, what can I do? I, I can't work manually, and I, I, I don't want to just beg to people, so what am I supposed to do? And then, verse number four, he has that kind of light bulb moment. Ever had one of those light bulb moments? Like, you think it's a great idea? Um, I've been watching too much Disney Plus with Nate, so I was thinking about it this morning, you know. Ever watch Phineas and Ferb? It was like, hey, Ferb, I know what we're going to do today. Anyway, that's what this guy was doing here. He's like, hey, Ferb, I know what we're going to do today. I got a great idea. Now, it wasn't really a great idea, and we're going to unlock this story this morning. 
Verse number four. It says, I am resolved, so I know what to do. That when I am put out of thy stewardship, or the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So what I'm going to do is I've got this plan. I'm going to go to people that are under my master's care, that owe him debts, and I'm going to cut some deals with them. And as I cut deals with them, they're going to be indebted to me. And when I'm out of my house, when I'm out of my job, they're going to take me in. So in a sense, he's, he's thinking pretty, pretty smartly, pretty, pretty shrewdly. Now, this Jewish culture was very similar to our culture. They were known for extorting one another. It was nothing to cheat someone else in order to get ahead for yourself, kind of that dog-eat-dog world. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to secure his resources for his own tomorrow. Now, verses 5 through 7, this is when it continues. He has this genius plan. So then he goes and he calls some of the Lord's debtors unto him, and, and he starts cutting deals. And the first he says, hey, how much do you owe? How much do you owe the Lord? And, and the guy's like, well, I owe uh, verse number six. Uh, I just lost it. Yeah. In hundred measures of oil. So it's a significant amount of money, a significant debt. Hundred measures of oil. So again, my mind works differently. So, you know, I've never really watched those mafia movies, but I can see the, the steward going out like, what do you owe? <laughs> How much do you owe? I'm going to cut you a deal. That's exactly how they sound, right? Probably not. I'm going to cut you a deal. I know you're like, you're, you're, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm lacking sleep, okay? But anyway, I was, I was thinking about that, and he's probably doing that. You know, I'm going to cut you a deal. I got a deal for you, man. You got 100, and I'm going to mark it down to 50. I should preach like this the rest of the time, right? <laughs> you owe 100, I'm going to cut it down to 50, and you take care of that, and everything's going to be good. And this guy owes 100, I'm going to cut it down to 80. I'm going to cut it down 20%, and we're going to be good. All right, you're with me. Good. That's exactly how he sounded, and that's exactly what he did. You study your Bible, you study in the Greek, and that's exactly what it says, all right? Probably not. But what this guy did was he was cutting a deal. So he went to the ones that owed money, that were indebted, and, and one owed 100, and he said, hey, right now, if you pay me half, your debt is canceled. Now, he obviously had enough clout to be able to do this, and the people trusted him. So Imagine yourself in a scenario like this. The mafia comes to you, hey, I got a deal for you. No, they don't do that. But imagine, you know, it's a simple thing. You have a car payment. And someone at the car dealership comes to you that you trust, that works there, that you know, and says, hey, I got a deal for you. Here's what you owe, but if you take what you owe and give me half today, your debt is canceled. I mean, if you had that money, who wouldn't do that, right? You'd be foolish not to take that deal. So these people are probably like, as, as quick as they can, they're writing the check out and here, take it, because they had trusted this guy. He was a manager for the owner, and he had done business with him. So he does that to the first person. The second person, he goes, and, and he cuts them a deal and, and makes it 80%, or he takes 20% off. In verse number seven, they send to another, and how much thou owest? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take thy bill and write four score or, or 80. Now, before I go on, and whether you've read this story, whether you know the story or not, is beside the point. Now, if you've never heard this story, never read this story, what do you think, what do you think would be the owner's response to something like this happening? What? Mad? Yeah. I mean, if you're the owner, you're not going to be like, dude, you did awesome. Good job. No, this guy was about to get fired, and now he's going, and he's not trying to get money for himself. 
He's just trying to cut deals so that when he's fired, when he's let go, he's got a place to stay because these people are going to be indebted to him. Because, man, he cut them a significant deal. Instead of having 100 that you owe, you only owed 80, or instead of owing 100, you now owe 50, that's a pretty significant savings. But here's where the story takes a turn. Verse number eight, look at this. And the Lord, what's that next word? Commended. It doesn't say condemned, it says commended. This is where people get it confused, and this is where I've gotten confused for many years. I had no clue what it was talking about. Why would the Lord, why would the owner commend him for what he did? Why would he praise him? He had just called him out for being unscrupulous, and now he's praising him? It makes no sense. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely, or really that word wisely, it's a word we can use in our, our society, in our, 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 our text today, it's shrewdly. He'd acted shrewdly, very astute, very keen in the business sense. And the, the Lord, the master, the owner, commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely, he had done shrewdly. You see, the master was pretty impressed from a business perspective. Even though he called him unjust and righteous, he simultaneously praised him. You see, the steward came up with a plan to make his future brighter than his past, and that plan was nothing short of strategic from a business perspective. Listen to me. From a business perspective, he's taking care of himself, and that's pretty wise. That's pretty smart to make sure that he has somewhere to go. Now, quick understanding of this. Now, the master really wouldn't be out that much because in the Jewish culture, it was nothing for people that owed a debt to have that debt marked up over 100%. So this owner was still making a profit on this. We have to understand that. Now, he's getting shortchanged, but he's still making a profit. He's not losing anything on this. So I'm sure he's upset, but that's why he's like, that's pretty wise because he's probably done the same thing in similar fashions. Verse number eight, let's continue on. The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely, shrewdly. And it says, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. So here's where Jesus is really starting to make his point. The children of this world are wiser in dealing with world and worldly and earthly things than the children of light or Christians are in dealing with heavenly things. Here's what Jesus is saying. Unbelievers are often sharper than believers are. Now stay with me. Here's the truth of this story. Our world is very shrewd with temporary investments. Our world is very shrewd with temporary investments. They, they can do things and manipulate things to make sure they are advancing their stats, their kingdom, padding what they can do. And all of it, a lot of it is under the guise of it's legal. <laughs> I mean, it might not be scrupulous, but it's, it's legal. And there's a lot of people that do things like that. So from the business standpoint, it's like, man, that is smart to leverage what you have to make sure you're secure. But we have to understand this, and this is where people get confused. Jesus isn't commending. He's not praising this guy for acting unwise or unscrupulous. He, that's not what he's doing. He's warning us as Christians, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, to live strategically. Just like this man was strategically trying to set up his future, Christians should strategically make sure they are setting up their eternal inheritance with internal eternal investments. 
So Jesus is not instructing us to do the same. Listen to me. He's not saying that we need to act the way that this unjust steward acted. He's not endorsing wrong actions. But he's saying basically that if you're not stewarding strategically the resources that God has given you, it's really nothing short of foolishness. It's like scoring on the wrong team's basket. Now stay with me here. You see, this guy, this steward, this manager, his future outlook in verse number two was pretty bleak, right? He's about to be fired. The owner was mad with him. It's not looking good for him. And all of a sudden, by the end of verse seven, his future is looking pretty bright. (laughs) It's a lot better than it was however many minutes ago or how many days ago this was. Now get this down. This is important. Jesus is showing us that you can have a brighter future than your past has prepared for you. I don't know if we have that, but it should be in your notes. There it is. Jesus is showing us that you can have a brighter future than your past has prepared for you. So in this head-scratcher parable, what is Jesus trying to tell us? Well, let's look at verse 9 through 13, and here's where we see the, the strategy of a steward. Again, this is where it gets it's good. You know, this manager was keen. He was astute. He was shrewd in his dealings in order to take care of himself. Verse number nine, and I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, when you die, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. So I'll explain this in a minute, but here's in essence what Jesus is saying. I want you to learn a very important lesson from an unscrupulous person. If the people of this world, listen to me, in order to take care of their future that will not last, Because what we do on this earth will not last on this earth because one day this earth will be burned up, right? The Bible is clear on that. And we can't take it with you. It's like I read this week, you know, of a a preacher that was given an illustration and uh, someone he knew, uh, he said, yeah, this guy, he died a millionaire. And a friend of his was with him in the office. He's like, no, he didn't. He's like, yeah, he did. He died a millionaire. He's like, no, he didn't. He's like, you don't even know the guy. He died a millionaire. And And the friend said, he didn't because you can't take anything with you. So he died with nothing. And that's the truth doesn't matter how much you have in the bank. Once you're dead, you're dead. You can't take it with you. You can't stuff your pockets. It's just going to go on the ground. There's a joke, but I'm not going to share it because it's just going to get us sidetracked with that. Maybe tonight I'll share it. So come back tonight. I'll share it. But what he is saying is that if people of this world, listen, in order to take care of a future that will not, will not last, are willing to expand every energy, exhaust every resources in securing their future, then the children of light, Christians, need to do a much better job securing an eternal investment, an eternal future that will last. In verse 9, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, when your time comes, when you're dead, they may receive you into everlasting habitation. This verse correlates with verse 4, when the guy was trying to make sure his earthly habitation was set. You know, it's a tragic thing to see God's wealth being wasted by Christians who live as though Jesus never died and judgment is never coming. You know, salvation is free based on faith alone and Christ alone. But rewards come tied to what we do on this earth and what God has entrusted us with. And the children of this world, listen to me, and there's a lot of Christians that we can tie into this. The children of this world and a lot of Christians are very good at securing earthly investments. Temporary investments that will not last. I'm not saying you shouldn't set aside and plan for tomorrow. That is being a good steward. 
But a good steward in God's eyes isn't just doing that. It's not making sure your earthly future is set. It's making sure your eternal future is also set. Listen to me. We are very good at securing our kingdom. And we even deceive ourselves into thinking we're working for God's kingdom when actually we're not. God didn't give you, listen to me, it's, it's going to start getting challenging here. God did not give you the ability to multiply to just pad your bank account. God gave you the ability to multiply, to get strategic for his kingdom and get this down. What we learn from this parable and what we're going to unlock in the next couple minutes is this. We need to invest more in eternity. We need to invest more in eternity than in tomorrow. The strategy of a steward is this, to capitalize and maximize on opportunities to advance the gospel. Let me say that again. We need to invest more in eternity than in tomorrow. Pastor, you're saying you shouldn't invest in tomorrow? Make sure, no, it's not saying that. That is being a good steward. But we are very good at making sure our tomorrow is set when tomorrow isn't promised, but eternity is promised, isn't it? Yes, it is. Eternity is coming. Heaven or hell is coming for some. So we need to invest more in eternity than we do in tomorrow. And the strategy of a steward is to capitalize and maximize on opportunities to advance the gospel. You see, when we understand that God is the owner, we're the steward, we understand what Jesus is telling us to do. He's not commending unjust actions. He's commending the fact that this guy acted shrewdly to make sure his tomorrow was secure. And since we're stewards working for his kingdom, it's our job to be just as shrewd, just as strategic in our internal investments. And I'm going to explain verse 9 in just a second, what it's saying, because I'm sure some of you guys are confused with it. But I want you to understand this. And again, I'm not, I'm not negating the fact that you shouldn't set aside. I, I have things set aside for my family, for myself, for tomorrow. I'm not saying that's wrong. That, that's not. That's being a good steward. But we are very good at taking care of that. That we neglect this, the most important thing. We neglect making sure the gospel is going forward, making sure people have a chance to get saved. People have a chance to, to receive Jesus as their Savior. And really what verse 9 is saying is that, you know, the more that you've invested in people on this earth and the more people that got saved, eventually they're going to be in heaven and they're going to be receiving you with open arms. Thank you. Thank you for your investment. Thank you for what you did on this earth, for giving to missions, for, for giving to a mission trip, for, for going out and witnessing. Thank you. That's what verse 9 is about. Thank you for doing what God called you to do. But think about this. The average company matches, what, 3 to 6% of your retirement, typically? 3 to 6%. Now, again, that's, that's great. If you put in 3%, they're going to match 3%. I've heard of some companies that match 6 and sometimes even more, which is phenomenal. It's awesome. But you know the average church goer gives on average in America 2.5% of their income to the church on a yearly basis? You know what God's standard is? Anybody know? The, the baseline standard? 10%. So is 2.5% anywhere near 10%? No, it's not. And some of us think, man, I'm doing a good job. I'm giving 2.5%. Look at me. Well, I've shared this with people. We're nothing more than tippers. 
We're not tithers. We're nothing more than tippers because what we're doing is we're saying that it's mine. I'm in control of it. I'm not given to some mission trip that I'm not going to go on. I'm not given to some missionary that I'm not going to see, and I don't know what they're doing. I'm not going to give to the church because they're probably going to spend it foolishly. Pastor's probably going to buy another putting green. I'm not. You guys can donate one to me. That's fine. But honestly, that's why people don't do things because they're just going to spend it foolishly. Well, we have a misunderstanding of what stewardship is about. It's not about our resources. And here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Get this, please. Leverage today. Leverage today to get as many people into the kingdom of heaven as you possibly can. Because when you enter heaven... Those that were saved because of you and your investments are going to welcome you. Now, imagine that sight. But I, I can also imagine that sight for some that have really been like this unjust steward that really didn't do anything, that really were more about themselves. And as they enter heaven, yes, God's going to welcome them in, but it's who's going to be there waiting for them? They didn't do what they were called to do. And again, and it's another message, another series entirely, but there are rewards that we will earn in heaven and in the next kingdom, the millennial kingdom, and we will be judged for our actions on this earth. It's not like we can live however we want and get away with it. People don't understand that. God has given you this life to live for him, to invest into his kingdom, and really what we need to be worried about is investing more into his kingdom than our kingdom, because our kingdom is not going to last. Our kingdom is going to end. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. It might be 50 years, but eventually your kingdom is going to end. God's kingdom will last forever. But we're concerned with getting more toys, more stuff, more things that is just going to burn up. I don't have any money to give to the church. I don't have any money to give to missions. Well, let's look at your house and see all the stuff that you bought. Let's look and see where your priorities are. Let's look and see how God-centered you truly are. Or, as we said last week, how selfie-centered you are. Again, it's, this is where it gets convicting, and even for me. You know, people say all the time, well, if I had more, I gave more. I'd give more. But honestly, that's a lie. Because most people that say that aren't even giving with the little that they have. Here's why I say that with facts. Look at verse number 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful in that which is much. He that is unjust in the least is also unjust in the, must, in the much. So if you're not even giving back to God the little that you have, you get more, you're not going to give that. It's, it's a clear principle from Jesus, from his mouth, that if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing with the little that you have, if you get more, it's not like you're going to be doing better with more. You're just going to be more selfish with the more. And this goes back to the second message in the series. What's in your hand? What has God given you to steward? What has he entrusted you with? Get this down. Faithful people are faithful whether they have a little or a lot. Faithful people are faithful whether they have a little or a lot. But then on the flip side, unfaithful people are unfaithful whether they have a little or a lot. You know what one of the requirements of a steward is? It's found in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Mike, do you know? Faithfulness. 
One of the requirements of a steward is that we be found faithful. How can we be found faithful? Well, by doing what God calls us to do. By making sure our actions match up with his commands. I don't like rules. Well, there's rules in all of life. Listen to me. Stewardship is not about your priorities. It's about your heart. And if your heart isn't right, then everything else won't be right. Again, people get so upset about stewardship because they think it's about money. And yes, it is. Over a third of Jesus' teachings were on money because he, he dealt with this. And even in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, in the midst of that, in Matthew chapter 6, he gives the Sermon on the Amount. <laughs> in Matthew 6, 21, where it says, basically, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You see, this parable is talking about our money and our eternal investments that matter and not the temporary investments that do not matter. Now, typically, in church, and I'm just going to quickly reference this, but there are four types of givers that I've defined. First of all, we have the non-giver. Someone that's, I'm not going to give no matter what. I don't really care. And again, I can make a message out of that. But the second type of giver is the first-time giver, one that has started giving and started trusting God. For that, I want to encourage you to keep it up. This isn't a prosperity gospel. This is just a proper theology that when you do what God has called you to do, he will bless you. It's not that he's going to give you a bunch of money back, but he will bless you and add true riches to your account, as we're going to look at in verse number 12. So we have a non-giver, and this is people that I'm not going to give no matter what. Whether it's my money, whether it's my time, my service, I'm not going to give because it's my stuff. It's my life. I ain't time for that. Anybody got time for that, right? We have the non-giver, we have the first-time giver, then we have the regular giver. This is the person that is giving on a consistent basis. They are tithing, they are doing what God has called them to do. But even with that, we have some of these first-time and some of these regular givers that really, they, they still just give the bare minimum. It's funny, when, I don't necessarily know all the stuff that's, that people give, but I, I've seen it before where, you know, let's say someone makes $100.12, they're going to tithe like $10.12. I mean, they're to the penny. They're going to give God to the penny. But then we have the extravagant giver. And this is someone that, you know what? God has given me much. I'm going to give a lot more back because everything I have is his. And really, I believe God has called us to be extravagant in our giving. And that's another message, but the Bible is clear on that. The Bible is clear that we should give cheerfully. We should do more than what maybe he even commands us to do. But listen, it's not how much can I withhold. It's how much do I have to give to God? How much, how much do I have to keep for myself so that I can give God more? That's really what it comes to. Verse number 11. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous man and the unrighteous money, who will commit to you your true riches? The who is God. So if you haven't been faithful with the money he has entrusted you with on this earth, then why would he entrust you with true riches? And again, I'll probably dive a little bit deeper into that tonight in the class. But the true riches is not just talking about more wealth. It's talking about the spiritual blessings that come from God that are more important, more beneficial than any amount of wealth you can get on this earth. Verse number 12. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is not your own, or that which is your own? Verse 13. 
And this is where it's extremely convicting. And he's calling out his disciples. He's calling out the Pharisees. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, it's an old English word, but it means money. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. In a sense, you can't walk forward and backward at the same time. It is impossible. I've tried it. It doesn't work. I looked foolish. You can't do it. You can't serve God and serve money at the same time. It doesn't work. And verse 13 gets to the point. Look, listen to me. I'm almost done. But the amount you possess is not the issue. Your character is the issue. Your commitment is the issue. Your love for heaven is the issue. Either you are unselfish, humble, generous, non-materialistic, committed to his kingdom, or you're not. That's what it boils down to. Either you're caring and compassionate and generous, unselfish, or you're selfish. You can't serve God and man. And listen, it has nothing to do with the amount. It's about the heart. And if you fail the test of stewardship, listen to me, you lose significance in the kingdom. You lose eternal blessings, eternal rewards. You waste your money on things that are going to perish. You waste God's money on things that are going to perish, accumulating things for yourself. And you're just inversely cutting into your spiritual blessings and eternal reward. You know, this life in the scope of eternity is very short. You might live 100 years, and that's a long time. But it's nothing compared to eternity. Because you know how long eternity is? It's forever. 100 years, forever. <laughs> Which is more important? But i got to build up for these 100 years, or these 50 years, or these 30 years, or these 70 years, or these 10 years. You might conclude that you can do a lot or you can do without a lot for a few years if you could have vast eternal rewards that will expand your joys everlastingly and allow you to worship Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit with a capacity that could be massive. Get this down. Here's what a steward should do. <laughs> Invest into kingdom enterprises. A steward should invest into kingdom enterprises. This goes back to what Solomon was teaching us. Listen to me. Endless personal accumulation is meaningless. All of the temporal treasures that you accumulate on earth will stay here when you're gone. Temporal treasures belong in a temporal earth. Those six cars you have, those, you know, for two people in your house, they're going to burn up. You can't send them up. But you know what you can send up? the wealth that you've accumulated investing to a gospel mission, to advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, to making sure his gospel is going forward, to making sure souls are being saved, lives are being changed, people are being one to the Lord. You know, we have a lot of things that we're trying to do at the church, and, you know, impact deals with so much. You know, we're getting ready to go on a mission trip here uh, at the end of this week, March 13th. I think we've got nine or ten of us that are going, and I'm excited about it. 
I'm very excited about that's That's one of the biggest things we're doing this year is going to help Jake and Haley Woodfin. They're starting a church plant in San Francisco, which is a very, very needy place. Needs the gospel in a great way. And we're kind of getting in on the ground floor. Their, their actual launch service is going to be in, on Easter Sunday. So we're going next Sunday. They're going to have a uh, preview service and try to do some outreach to try to get people to come. So I wanted to get in on the ground floor to try to help them get started, get established. That's what Jesus is talking about. Those eternal investments, those strategic eternal investments are what's important. You see, that kind of stuff is my desire. It's my burden. It's not about padding our bank account here. But the truth is, the less we have, the less we can do. The more we have, the more we can do. You know, I've challenged, I've encouraged, and probably even more this year than I'll ever do, than I've ever done, I've challenged people to give. I've challenged people to to take these these envelopes and give to it. And again, I'm sure some people are like, I'm not going to give to that. All they're doing is just going to go out and have some fun and have a you know, good time and vacation. Well, we're going to have fun because you can have joy in serving God. You can. There is joy in doing what God has called you to do. But some of the things that we're trying to do this year is to try to make an impact on eternity, to have strategic investments in eternity. I talked with Stephanie about a week ago, I guess it was, right? Something like that. I don't know. Um, and she's going to be heading up, and we're going to talk about this later, but she's going to be heading up some of our impact opportunities with the church, some of the things that we're going to do with outreach opportunities to really not just get our name out there, but get the gospel out there to advance the gospel. And again, the more that comes in, the more we can do, the more we can send out, the more we can go out and invest into people in that unrighteous mammon, and people can get saved And that is going to go on your account, those that invested, those that gave, those that went out. Look, I understand not everyone, especially with where you're at in your your health situation, can necessarily go out into community and do some of these things, but you can give. Everyone can give. Everyone can give of your money because it's not yours anyway. And a little bit later today, we're going to give an opportunity to give towards a project. Many of you have given already the impact offering. Uh, We're going to give another opportunity to give to Jake and Haley, and whatever comes in is going to go in addition to what we already set aside to give them. But I would love to to add another $1,000, $2,000 today to give to them to their account. That's what's important. What's not important is padding our stats on this earth. You're like, well, I'm not prepared for it. That's okay. We have a church app, and you can give through the church app because most of you all have a credit card or a debit card. And if you don't know how to do it, I can help you with it. There's a little heart button on there that says give. You click that, you click it again, and it pops it up there. And then under one of the categories, it says impact offering, and you give towards that, and everything that comes in will go towards the impact offering. We'll go towards Jake and Haley to help them. But here's here's the truth, people. We have opportunities to invest into God's kingdom. But so many people are foolish. So many people are unwise, unscrupulous like this man. And if the world is shrewd in how they take care of their tomorrow, shouldn't we be wiser and more strategic in how we take care of eternal investments? Things that actually matter? I mean, having a house, yeah, that's important. But having people saved because of you and your investment and what you did and and trying to win people to the Lord and trying to disciple people, that's what matters. You know, in the past, what, week and a half, we've had two people saved in the church. That's awesome. 
Those are eternal investments that are going on to the account of those that invested into those men. That's what's important. And the more people invest of their time, of their talents, of their treasures, more people will get saved. Don't you want to see more people saved? Don't you want to see more people get baptized, more people discipled, this church grow? Not so we can pad our stats and get bigger buildings, but so we can do more. So we can do more for God, for his kingdom, because it's all about him. Let me close with a couple questions. What has God given you now to steward? What is God calling you now to invest, to multiply in gospel ministry? Here's the basic point. Don't worry about being a shrewd investor in this age where you can provide a future that will fail. Invest into eternity. God is the owner, which makes us the steward. And listen to this. It's not in your notes, but this is important. You can use money to serve God. That's biblical theology. Or you can use God to serve your money. That's prosperity theology. I want to use the money that God has entrusted me with to build his kingdom, not pad my stats. Like Tony Evans has said in our men's study, you know, that principle of it, the more God gives you, it's not so you can give, get more, it's that so you can give more. Give and it shall be given unto you. The more he gives you, the more he entrusted you with, the more you can give away. How much wiser is it to leverage your resources today so they can be used for someone else's eternal security tomorrow. We must be willing to invest more into eternity than we do in tomorrow because tomorrow isn't promised, but eternity is. And the core truth, and I close with this, we need to invest more in eternity than tomorrow. The strategy of a steward is to capitalize and maximize on opportunities to advance the gospel. So what are you doing with what God has given you now to steward? Your resources, your time, your talents, your treasures, your family, what are you doing with that? Are you teaching your family biblical stewardship? Or are you teaching your family, hey, it's dog eat dog, you gotta take care of yourself. No, you gotta take care of him because he placed you here for him. What is God calling you to invest to multiply gospel ministry.